Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. The kids were fighting. They hadn't been getting along all day. It was Saturday, the the weekend, a time for rest and relaxation. But Dad had had enough, and he decided that something had to be done. Taking off his belt, he told his son and his daughter to go to their own rooms and bring a belt of their own. Slowly they went down the hall, and then they returned. And once they were back, he said, I want you to each take your own belt and put it around your waist. And then he took his belt, and he ran it through their two belts, and for the rest of the day, they were no more than a half belt length apart. And I said, you're East, your sister and brother. Your mother and I love you both, and you have to learn to get along with one another. Well, if you want to follow along in your life notes, I've titled this message, The Family That Dad Always Wanted. We've been doing a book study in 1 Peter, and we're going verse by verse through the book, and we're looking at what does the Bible have to say, and that's that's the teaching. And then we're considering how do you apply it. That's what you do in your daily life as you live out the Word of God. How do we take what God said then and, and apply it to our lives today in the 21st century? And we're picking up where we left off last week in in chapter 3. Last week, if you were here, we talked about marriage, about what marriage is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to work, the time and effort that goes into it, the selflessness that must be done in the midst of it. And it's almost as if Peter was done talking about, let me tell you how to have a better family life, that the light bulb went on. And guided by the Spirit of God, he says, now let me tell you how to be a part of a family that you've always wanted to be in. He switches gears and he talks about what we do in these things called churches or chapels. Look with me at 1 Peter 3, verse 8. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters, be compassionate and humble. Do not replay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I love these first two verses. He's just got done talking about our our own earthly families, what they should be like, what marriages should be like. And now he says, finally, to all of you. And he's speaking to believers here. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to people who, who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you remember, if you were here some weeks ago, about 10 weeks ago, when we began this series, we started it, we said Peter is writing in the first century to a group of churches. He said God's elect, strangers in the world, it says in chapter 1, scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. And this is all but the most southernmost part of, of Asia Minor, what today we would call modern Turkey. 
These provinces, uh, it's estimated their, their population was about eight and a half million people with about a million of those being Jews. And by the end of the first century, about 80,000 Christians in that area. And the fact that they're mentioned here is a testament to the enormous missionary activities of the early church. But an enormous persecution sanctioned by the Roman emperor Nero had broken out against Christians. And Peter is writing this book, this epistle, this letter, in order to encourage all these people that are scattered through that region. And he goes, okay, I've talked to you about you as a person. I've, I've talked to you about the way that God loves you and what he's called you to do. I've talked about the way you do your family. Now, finally, let me talk to you about this thing called church. And we're only going to do a few verses today, and we're going to do it word by word, and we're going to kind of make it a checklist, if you will, because this is what it's all about. Now, you need to remember Peter. Remember, he's one of the first disciples that Jesus picked. Remember Peter, James, and John, they're out fishing. They got these nets. They're fishermen, and Jesus calls them to leave their nets and follow him and become fishers of men and women. They were the ones that had fished all night and not caught anything. And, and Jesus tells them to pull, throw it over on the other side. This, this, he's not a fisherman, but he tells them they do it, and they pull in a huge load of fish. And they realize that this guy that they've been listening to is teaching that he's not just any ordinary man. Remember, Peter is, is the one that about two, two and a half years after following Jesus, one day they're walking, and they're walking by Caesarea Philippi, the, the, the birth center of the, of the gods of the known world at that time. And, and Jesus stops and says, okay, guys, who do people say that I am? And the disciples start answering him. They say, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. There, there's a buzz about you, Jesus. You're, you're, trending, you're trending well. He says, but what about you, 12? Who do you say that I am? Now, Peter's always been the, the spokesperson for the group. And, and I wonder if there was a pause there, though, because he's thinking, well, you know, if I get this wrong, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed and all that. But, you know, I wonder how many of the other disciples looked at Peter before he just said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the one that we've been waiting for, that the Old Testament spoke about. You're the Son of God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, you've been listening to God, Peter. You, you, you're, you're tuned in to what God is saying. He says, now I tell you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And there's a play on words here because he, he starts calling him Peter after that, which is he's like a little rock. But, but Jesus is talking about a big rock, and he's saying, upon this rock, upon your confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. On that statement that I am the Son of God, that's what the church is going to be built upon. Peter was the guy that got it right that day. Peter was the guy that started the cornerstone of this is what the church is going to be about. And now he's writing saying, let me tell you the rules of the family. In those first few verses, breaking it down, number one, he says, finally, all of you live in harmony. Or another translation may be, be of one mind. Some of your Bibles may say, but number one, live in harmony with one another. This is to the church. This is to, as I said, the people, those who have, who have faith to Jesus. It's because you're part of the family. Because you're all God's kids, this is what we're supposed to be about. Be of one mind. And all of us go, oh, well, I'm all about being of one mind as long as it's my mind. 
And as soon as everybody else sees the way I see it, then we'll all be okay. We'll be in a sweet place. And yet the Bible is always clear that the one mind isn't trying to decide which one of our minds is right. It's about us having the mind of Christ coming together and realizing that we're family. And we've got a big family. The church is a big family. When, and when we come together as we're expressed in, the, in local congregations, local chapels, local fellowships, it's, it's like a family reunion. And I love that we're family. I love that there's people personality-wise that, that I would never necessarily associate with, nor would you. I love that there's people demographics-wise that we might not necessarily associate with. I love that there's people here because of your past or your backgrounds that may be different from mine or the person next to you, we would never find ourselves necessarily in, in, in another place together, doing life together the way we do. Why? Because we're family. Because we've all come together from different places, different backgrounds, different walks of life, and we understand that because of the Son of God, we have one Father, and we're brothers and sisters. I've often said that when someone walks into a, a church, they, they shouldn't feel like they're at someone else's family reunion. They should feel welcome, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like. You know, Lou and I do not come from big extended families that have organized reunions, but we have gotten to experience this a few times. This is a photo of, of a recent Monti family reunion up in uh, Petoskey, Michigan, where they hold it the first or second week of August every year. And Lou and I have been privileged to attend a couple of these Monti reunions. And I can honestly say that, that we have been welcomed like family over the years, so much so that I know that I do not have to wait for an engraved invitation that, to know that this is going to happen those first couple weeks of August, and we're welcomed to be there, just as if our name was Monti. Would that our churches and our chapels would be so welcoming to outsiders, to people that don't have the same last name. This is something that we need to, to constantly remember in a place such as Sky Valley where we have people, visitors coming through all the time. I wanted to share with you an email that, that management received this past week. It says, thanks, Sky Valley. We enjoyed our stay to no end. The people are so friendly and helpful. The church service is outstanding. The music is wonderful. The minister is right on. We had our spiritual cup filled to overflowing every time we attended. Thanks again. Signed, a happy couple. I wanted to make sure this was indeed this park and not Caliente before I used it as a sermon illustration. So I contacted Patty and management. I asked her the background of this. And she said, yeah, Walt. She said, this, this couple, they came in January because I couldn't figure out exactly who they were because because of COVID and the mask and stuff, don't know everybody that's been here. She said, yeah, they came in January for one month, and they ended up staying a second month. So they spent two months here because they loved the people here. They loved our chapel program here. They loved what they found here. And I've told management for years that the atmosphere, the Christian atmosphere that loves people and reaches out to people will draw even those who may not be church folk to like this place. And I found that over and over again over the 10 years that Lou and I have been here. Live in harmony with one another. Number two, be sympathetic to each other. And right next to sympathetic, empathetic as well. Because the Greek word carries both meanings. It's not just a, a feeling sorry or having a sort of a feeling for, but it's really understanding and being willing to go the extra mile for someone. Part of family is, okay, I'm going to do stuff for you that I wouldn't necessarily do for every stranger walking down the street. Part of family is there's some things that I'm just going to let slide. 
part of family as I start to understand how it's seen from, from your perspective to walk in your shoes, to understand, to give you the benefit of the doubt. Part of being church is being with brothers and, and sisters and saying when little things happen, when the friction occurs, oh, well, that's, my, that's just my crazy cousin. That's just my whacked out nephew. You've got to love the guy. Have you ever had that, that crazy uncle that if you ever met him publicly, you'd pro probably call the cops on him or, you, or you'd want to punch him out? But because he's your crazy uncle, he's fun. You know, it's like Uncle Joe and your son. Well, that's just Uncle Joe. That's, that's how he is. We love Uncle Joe. We've known him forever. Family gets extra grace. Family gets that sympathy, that, that empathy that says, okay, we're going to put ourselves in your shoe and let it slide. We're going, to, we're going to be of one mind together. We're going to have empathy and sympathy for one another. And then he says, now love as brothers. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, do kids fight? You bet your kids are going to fight. I grew up with two brothers. I was the oldest. I had one two years below me and another four years younger than me. And the three of us shared one bedroom in an 800-square-foot house with three adults for the first 11 years of my life. You better believe my brothers and I fought. But if we were at school, if we were in the neighborhood, we had each other's back. We defended each other. We supported each other. We treated a brother differently from any other kid on the playground. That was part of being an East. Now, I will have to admit, my younger brother, my youngest brother, David, was known for starting a fight, and then Joe and I would step in, and then David was scarce. He went around and around him or be around. But we supported one another as the East brothers. Well, one of the rules of the house, uh, Dad's hope, Dad's prayer, is that we're going to treat each other as brothers and sisters. And we're going to treat brothers and sisters differently than we necessarily do everybody else out there on the playground. You're going to be the first to come to their aid, the first to have their back. You're going to be the first to stand up for them the first to help them up when they fall. You're going to be the first to encourage them if they're down because that's what family does. And he goes, I want you to love one another as brothers and sisters. After that, he says, be compassionate to each other. Be compassionate, warm, accepting, encouraging. And then be humble around each other. Be compassionate to each other and be humble around each other. So what does humility look like in the context of this thing called church? Well, it means we realize that it's, it's not all about us. It's not all about our personal preferences. And it's particularly so in a setting like our chapel here at Sky Valley, where we come from so many different denominational backgrounds. The second year I was here, I had a lady want to talk to Gabe and me about the music. And we sat in my office talking about it. And she goes, well, I know who picks out all the music. It's it's, and she named uh, the name of, of two, two of the people who were in management and ownership of the park. And I said, no, the people that pick out the music each week are sitting in, the, in, the, in my office with you. It's me and Gabe. We pick out the music. And truth be told, I kind of had to, I knew where she was going with, and I told her I had to kind of hold Gabe back sometimes because Gabe wanted to use a lot more newer music than, than older music, but I had to restrain him on that. And she said, well, we just need to use the hymns. And so I said, well, which hymns? Well, you know, the hymns. The hymns everybody knows. And I, I told her, well, the hymns that I grew up with in the Anglican Episcopal Church are not the same hymns that my wife grew up with in the Baptist Church, nor the same hymns that Jack and Pauline might have grown up with in the Reform or Presbyterian Church. Hymns are not hymns are not hymns. We have different hymnals. And, oh, really? Well, yeah. 
And, we, and I'm trying to devise a worship service here that will reach a wide swath of God's kingdom as well as being inviting into other people that we're trying to, trying to attract because I'd never thought about that. What is the purpose, the mission of the church? It's to spread the good news, to build the kingdom, to glorify Jesus as we reach out to others who don't know him yet. It's not just to, to be a self-licking ice cream cone worried about those that are already here. We're supposed to reach out to others. Not only those that don't know him yet, but even sometimes to others who may have been to church and didn't want to come back. They say, well, I don't need that drama. I grew up in a family like that. I was talking to someone here in the park a couple of months ago, and they told me that they thought I had a tough job. And I agreed with them. Now, I should tell you, this was not a chapel attender. And I asked this individual, I said, what do you mean by that? She says, well, you've got to deal with all those church people. And as I, as I talked to the individual, we chatted. It bothered me because it was evident that her view of church people was an impediment to her coming to church or even to coming to chapel here. And it's unfortunate because there's some truth to that view. It's why a dear friend that I have who's worked with churches for over 40 years oftentimes reminds me, Walt, ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people. Being humble means that you put the needs of others ahead of your own. Humility is coming and saying, oh, it's not about my preference. It's about our community. It's about the mission that God has given us. What if you had a group of people they were always more concerned about others than they were about themselves. Every time they bumped into each other, they were, they were trying, to, trying to give way to the, to the other person. Wouldn't you want to be part of that group? You know, humility realizes that the mission is bigger than me and that we is bigger than me. And God has called us to join him in his mission in being humble to one another as we do this thing called church, and we try to be attractive to people to draw other people into this thing called the church, the body of Christ. Lastly, in those first couple verses, fight differently with each other. Now, you're still going to fight. You know, I expected my kids to have friction. That, that time with the belts, you know, you know, strapping them together, I knew wasn't going to be the last time I'd ever have to get on to them about, about fighting. Because when you're living together side by side, things are going to happen. People are going to get offended, and, and, and friction's going to occur. And I love the way he says in verse 9, though, he says, do not repay evil with evil, insult with insult. Well, what's that mean? You've got to remember he's, he's writing to the family. He's writing to the church. And, and so he's saying, wait a minute, Peter, there's going to be evil in the church? Well, yeah. Anytime someone does something that isn't what God wants them to do, that's evil. We make it out to be this big, heinous thing. But you're going to come across people in the church that are going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to come across people in church that, that you may think evil. And I'm glad they're here because the moment that we only allow perfect people here, well, then I can't come. And neither can you except those four or five of you they are going to be sitting here self-deluded in your own lives. We're all broken people. We're all in transition. We're all trying to come and, and seek this God out and live it out. And we, the church is where there should be grace. It's where we understand family. It's, it's where we try to be empathetic. But in, in reality, too often, churches show little grace. I remember I had a, some very close friends. They've been missionaries for the last 30 years in, in Africa, different countries over there. 
But when they got married, we were in, all three of us were in seminary together. When they got married, they took a cross-country trip from New Orleans out here to California. And they, I remember them attending this church who has grace in the church's name. And they came back and told me, we didn't, we didn't feel much grace there at that church. It was very legalistic in this particular church. And I don't think that's, that's not what, what you want people to feel whenever they come into a church, into a, a worship setting. It's where we get grace, is in the church. People will say, well, I expect more from them. Well, they're Christian. I, I, I expect more from this place. I expect, I expect, I expect. And, and I'll be honest with you, those are kind of trigger words for me when people start telling me what they expect. And I tell you, in family, I don't expect. In family, I give grace. Peter says you will be in conflict. You will come across wrongs. You will come across insult. But don't repay evil with evil. Repay it with blessing. And you're going to fight differently because of that. The greatest challenge in church is when you've been wronged. And if you're around here long enough, you will be wronged by someone. You'll be wronged by me probably. You may be wrong by someone when three minutes before a service starts, you stop the chaplain and you want to ask a question that is totally unrelated to anything to do with God or, or, or what we're getting ready to do here. I'm not at my best at that time to answer questions about whatever you've heard on the news or whatever's going on down the street or that kind of thing. And it'd give me grace. I'm the crazy nephew. I'll stay afterwards until the last person leaves and talk as long as you want. But there are going to be times when the best of people and the best intentions are going to rub you the wrong way. And Peter says, live it out. He spent two chapters saying, in spite of who you are, this is how God loves you. In spite of what you deserve, this is what God's still willing to give you. And here's how we live in return. Here's how it's going to affect our families. Now let me tell you how it affects this thing called the family of God. And throughout Scripture, the church is referred to as the family of God. This should be the type of family that everyone wants to be a part of. It's the body of Christ. It's the, it's the priesthood of believers. And yet, in our society, so many people hate Christ because they've known Christians. And so many people don't go to church because they've been but if we're being like-minded, sympathetic, empathetic, loving each other as brothers and sisters, treating everyone else as better, even when wronged, responding with blessing, well, who wouldn't want to show up? Who wouldn't want to be part of that? It's kind of like that old sitcom, Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where everybody cares about you. And I tell you, it's, it's challenging when the world does better sometimes at that than the church has learned to do it. The one who got the answer right, the one who looked Jesus in the eye and said, I know you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. The one who heard Jesus tell him on that rock, on that statement, I'm going to build my church. And Peter, your hands are going to be all over this thing. The one that denied Jesus three times, the one that was cursing at the front of the campfire, saying, I have nothing to do with that man. The one who met Jesus on the beach and, and understood real compassion, real forgiveness, real empathy. Jesus that must have told me, you know, Peter, that night when I was being beaten, I understood that you were scared, but you know what? Forgiveness is still there for you. See, this is a, this is a broken guy. It's a guy who's come up empty with his own nets. It's a guy who doesn't deserve to be in the church. It's the last person that Jesus would invite to the fire pit. It's the first one, though, 
mentioned at Easter. He's the guy writing this going, so this is why we do this, because Dad wants us to get along. All through the New Testament, 57 times it gives commands that we refer to as the one another's, what we're supposed to do within the body of Christ, within the church. And this is written, these one another's are written to believers. Yes, we are called to love those outside the church, to share the gospel with them, but Jesus said that there's a way that even those outside the world would know that we're his followers. And he didn't say they're going to know you're my followers because you go to church. It's not because of the number of scriptures you've read. It's not because of how many of this or that. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 57 one another's in the New Testament. Why? Here's my bet. Dad really cares about his kids getting along. And I have a hunch. I love my kids. I want them to get along. And throughout this whole thing, I believe we have a God saying, this is my family. And I want you to be the type of family that the world out there goes and says, I want to be part of that. I want to sit there a little bit longer. I want to come and, and rub elbows with those people because I feel that they really care about me. And Peter's writing and saying, do you know what you do in this thing called church? He says, you create the type of family that dad has always wanted. And when you have that type of family, it's going to attract the type of people that dad has always wanted to reach. Now, you need to be careful because they may not be the type of people that you want to reach. Jesus ran up against this. He got in trouble for associating with those people. The religious authorities didn't like it. It's one of the reasons that they sought to kill him because they didn't think he should be rubbing elbows with, with those people. But that's the kind of people that, that God wants to come. Whosoever will may come. And he says, that's church. And 57 times in the New Testament, he says, Dad cares deeply about what we do with one another. And then he says, not only is this why you were called, but at the end of verse 9, because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. He goes, look, it's not just about others. Let me tell you, when we live like this, you're going to be blessed. When you live the way that God wants you to live, then this way, getting along with others, being the church, being the family of God the way he wants you, you're going to be blessed. It's going to be a blessing to you. So how do we get along? Verses 10 and 11. It says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Sound familiar? It should. It's from Psalm 34 that I read this morning as our call to worship. And let me give you some real simple family things here. Nothing that you haven't heard before. Number one, if you can't say anything nice... Don't say anything at all. I just made that up. Isn't that clever? It's a great little saying. You know, feel free to use it on your own. Actually, it's Thumper in Bambi. At first, I, I was, wait, isn't that from Forrest Gump? And Forrest Gump never said it, but it sounds like something Forrest Gump would say. But it's, 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 it's conventional wisdom to understand this. You know, how many times have, have I said this as a father in my own household? How many times driving down the road did I turn the radio off, look in the rearview mirror and tell them, okay, now you've got to be quiet. I don't want to hear any words out of you. You can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying you want to be blessed. You want to love life and see good days. You want to have a better life. You want to be the type of person that has better days. 
Well, then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. So often the problems that we create are with, our, are with our tongues and we keep burying ourselves. We keep digging holes and creating problems and it's our tongues that get us in trouble there. And it's why we don't have better days. It's why we have conflict. And it says, I'm telling you, it'll be better for you if you keep your tongue from evil. Secondly, stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Turn from evil and do good. You know the life that God wants you to live? And start living it. You know the junk that keeps you from living that life? Get rid of it. Knock it off. You know, I don't do much marital counseling these days, but back in, in my previous years of ministry, I did a, a lot of marital counseling. I did a lot more marital counseling and, and just counseling in general than I did, than I did preaching. And there's so many times I'd be in with, with, with some folks, and I just want to just say, time out. Knock it off. Just go out of here. Don't do these things that you keep talking about week in and week out. and stuff. Just knock it off. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, that's insanity. It's insane. So knock off all this bad behavior where you keep hurting one another. You keep looking at your own selfishness and trying to act selfish rather than worrying about the other. And then you'll have a happier marriage or you'll have a happier relationship. You'll get along with your boss better. Thirdly, be a person that creates peace, not tension. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, you can self-grade yourself on this, or you can ask someone that knows you well, but in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your Bible study, in your church, are you a person that brings peace or tension? Are you a person where there's always drama going on? Well, let me give you a hint. If you're always involved in the drama and the gossip that's going on, you might want to look for the common denominator, okay? And it may be you. Or if you're a person that goes, I just, I just have a knack for bringing peace to situations. Things are calmer when I'm there. He says, I'm going to give you a blessing here. It's going to be so much better for your life. And some of you may go, Walt, I've tried that. I can't bring peace to some situations. There's people that no matter how hard I try, and I get that. Don't stop trying. Be a person that creates peace, not tension. But let me show you a loophole here, okay? I'm not an attorney, but here's a loophole. I call it the exception clause. And if, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible in Romans chapter 12, it's not highlighted there, it should be. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The bottom line there, leave it to God. Leave it to God, and here's why. There's something innately in all of us that says if you hurt me, if you've insulted me, if you've wronged me, something has to be done about it. There needs to be justice. You think of any two-year-old or three-year-old, you've seen that behavior with them. Well, that's not fair. That's why they're looking for justice. Well, our father is a dad of justice, and, and you and I are created in his image. And, and I desire justice, but when I seek it for myself, when I try to make justice happen on my own, things go bad. When I walk away and I give it to him, and then they've got to deal with dad, that's good. Things go way much better. 
But did you hear these words up there? It says, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which means that there may be, no, there will be situations in which it is impossible to get along with a person. There's some situations that you cannot win because it takes two. No matter what I do, there's some people that are just going to create friction. But as far as it depends upon me, I need to live at peace with them. Well, you're going to say, well, didn't Jesus live, live peacefully with everybody? Are you kidding? Did you know they killed him? He had lots of enemies. He said things that they didn't like. His lifestyle, who he hung out with, his claims to be the only way to God, to be the son of God, that the religion wasn't the way that you got to God. We do our best as much as it depends on us, but then there are times, there are situations where you just have to walk away and go, I think we're done. Verse 12, the last verse here, why it really matters. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know why it really matters to dad? Number one, because God watches over the righteous. God watches over the righteous, and we talked about this a few, a few weeks ago. It's not people that live these, these holy, pure lives that we think about, because none of us, not a single one of us can live that way. We can try, and what we're talking about here is those who walk with God. If you go, go back and listen to the message I preached on, on holiness about four or five weeks ago, you'll understand what we mean there. It's not the way the world looks at it. It's those that are walking with God, and because he looks at Walt and at Walt's sin and my deficiency, he knows the blood of his son covers it. He has the direction of my life, maybe not perfection, definitely not perfection, but he says, Walt, you're righteous. I've got a dad that, that, that cannot, will not take his eyes off of me. I'm his. I'm made in his image, and so are you. Yes, I need plenty of cor correction. I need discipline, and there are times when I don't exactly do what God wants or, or resemble what the family should be, but I come back to him, and I heed his direction. I continue to work on it, to work it out, and to walk with him, and he's so stinking happy with me and you, and that's why his eyes are on us, because we're his children. Secondly, he will actively listen to their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to the... He isn't just hearing. It's, just, it's, not, just, it's not just white noise. It's not just in the, in the background. His ears are attentive to their prayers. Go back and read Psalm 34 this week. It's a great psalm to, to camp out in in your quiet time. And lastly, because God will stand against those who do wrong. God will stand against those who do wrong. It says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter goes, let me tell you guys, I talked about how God's going to change your life. I've talked about how he's going to change your family life and, and your family at home, the family you've come from, and, and stop that generational junk, all that, all that toxic baggage that you carry around so that you can have something new. He says, now let me tell you how we do church. He goes, let me tell you, it, it's not going to be a way that people out there can get enough of. Your life is going to be better in, in living this way, and, and, and you're going to walk with God, a God who cannot take his eyes off of you because you're his, you're his kids, you're his children, a God who, who actively hears your prayers. So many people try to, to play religion. They say, oh, I'm going to live my life, and, and when I get in trouble, I'm going to call out to God for help. And you know what? That's, that's not how it works. That's not what God wants. God will honor those who honor him. If it's your life and, and your problem, when you were God of your own life, 
then you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. Life's going to be tough. But if your life belongs to him, if you're walking alongside him, life and family, whether it be your family at home or your family corporately, is going to be much better. And Peter says that's what this is all about. If we can't be the church that represents the type of family that everyone has wanted, that the Father wanted, then we aren't doing church right yet, and we have some work to do. So let's keep working on things that that we need to work on, and let's keep creating a place where anyone can walk in these doors from any background, from any choice, from any family pattern, from any addiction, from anything that they've done or, or had done to them, and they feel, I'm accepted here, I'm loved here, I'm valued here, where they can hear the Word of God drip into their life and find out who they are and how they're supposed to live in a relationship with the God that makes it all possible. Every one of us, we're we're a bunch of sinners that sometimes don't do things right, but let's each one of us do our dead-level best to become the family that God wants us to be. Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.